everyone, and welcome back to Mind Matters on this first show of the new year of 2020. Uh, this week, we are discussing a book called The Tao of Natural Breathing. Is that a good image there, Adam? <laughs> we look good? Great. <laughs> first, I want to thank Harrison for suggesting the book as a way to start off the new year, because... On Mind Matters, we've usually focused on very intellectual subject matter. That's kind of the cause of our show, to get thoughts moving and ideas stimulated and our perspectives kind of put into a better perspective mm -hmm. on uh, world events, social movements, various things. But when we, when we drill down and think about how it is that we even come to perceive so much of our world, ourselves, our relationships, there seems to be a uh, basic structure or underlying uh, firmament that we miss, and that is the very health and uh, state of our own being, our own minds. So I think it's very fitting. This, is a, this has been a wonderful book to read as a reminder of the importance of a very basic thing that we quite often take for granted, and that is how we breathe. Uh, several years ago, I learned a technique called Eru Olas, which means growth of knowledge in Gaelic, and came to, taught the, to teach the class. It has several modalities included in it, uh, or ways in which to breathe that uh, stimulate the vagus nerve, uh, use diaphragmatic breathing, uh, breathe in, in very rigorous manners to get circulation going and to invigorate ourselves and our minds in ways that we are not used to, uh, a kind of a, a psycho-spiritual detoxification, if you will. So this book has been an excellent reminder and expansion upon the very reasons why uh, I took the uh, instruction of becoming a teacher in Eru Olas. Uh, Corey and Harrison also have a lot of experience teaching and practicing Eru Olas. But there's something that this book seems to do that, um, that I think is very useful for us, and that is to uh, drill down and become aware of ourselves from a very basic place where we can grow into the more rigorous and vigorous practices that we're used to uh, engaging in uh, with, with such exercise. And I was very impressed with it. I thought, that, um, I thought that Dennis Lewis, in writing this book, created a, a great distillation of concepts that we are used to reading from Gurdjieff and books like uh, Boris Moraviev's Gnosis, uh, which he doesn't get so much into breathing per se in that series, but there's a discussion of finer energies and, and inducing uh, breath to uh, create energy and store uh, vitality in ourselves that I think is at the very heart of what Teo of Natural Breathing is assisting us in, in trying to do. So on that point... Well, I want to just, I want to give a little bit of background on how I found this book. First of all, 
Um, cause I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it before, but I was doing some searching and, you know, one thing led to another and I found this guy, the author, Dennis Lewis and this book. And the reason I found him is because he, he, or he has been, he, he was in the, you know, what's called the Gurdjieff work. So he was working with, uh, Gurdjieff foundation groups. And so I thought, well, you know, I, I really like Gurdjieff, um, and reading stuff about him and etc. So I was like, well, I wonder what this guy's got to say about, uh, you know, breathing exercises because, you know, I had a little bit of an awareness on the importance of breathing. And so this one kind of caught my eye and he's got a one or two other books on breathing and a, an audio course as well. But I checked it out and started reading it. And I found that while it is like, it's called the Tao of natural breathing and it does come from like a Taoist perspective. He talks about some some teachers he had, some methods he learned from Taoist teachers, including this guy, uh, Mantak Chia. But the book itself, if you kind of even um, ignore the, the Taoist perspective of it, it is, like you said, it is a distillation. It seems to me like a distillation of a lot of the things that Gurdjieff was talking about. And right up front, I'll just say, I don't know a lot about Mantak Chia. Um, I haven't looked into him very much at all. And so at this point, you know, I wouldn't be able to actually endorse him or even like some of the actual exercises that get that he gets into in this book. For the most part, what I initially found useful from this was looking at it as kind of the basics, like an overall kind of theory and perspective and some basic principles about breathing to get across. And those principles are exemplified in a lot of the specific um, specific breathing exercises that he gives. And it's it goes pretty much sequentially. So it starts with very basic, and then it gets into some some more advanced stuff. And then he just refers like for the for the really weird advanced stuff, he just refers to go to Mantak Chia's books. I don't know if I if I'll ever do that. But um, so what what I what I do think is most valuable at this time from this book is the basic principles, and um, and just kind of the yeah the the basic principles and the overall framework for what breathing is, why it's important, and what kind of needs to change for most people. And again, a lot of that is just a recapitulation for from um, what we've all learned from the Aerolis program. So I know some of our viewers are familiar with it, and those that aren't can check it out. We'll have a, a link in the description to it. But one of the, one of the aspects that uh, kind of drew me to this book, you know, while searching for Gurdjieff-related stuff, was that... Um, just to give a bit of background, like you mentioned that book, Boris Moraviev's Gnosis, there's also, um, well, Moraviev, it's pretty much just like a recapitulation with some extra stuff and, and some expansions on what Uspensky wrote about Gurdjieff's system. So it's this kind of vast theoretical system of all this kind of weird stuff about worlds and cosmoses and what, what he calls hydrogens, which are different like elements that you that get transformed and accumulated in the body. And it is, it's a pretty interesting intellectual, like a uh, um, mountain that he created, that Gurdjieff created, and which Uspensky and Moraviev kind of um, laid out in these books. But the thing about the, the thing about it is that there, there isn't a lot of um, the really down to earth practical stuff in there. If you look closely enough, you'll see that it is there. It's, it's hinted at, but it doesn't, it's not like he says, okay, now here are the, here are the things to do every day to kind of put this in practice. That really only came later in, 
in uh, in Gurdjieff's life, at least, and what he what he was doing. But what the breathing exercises do, what the what this book kind of lays out, is is a really practical, down to earth example of how to put that stuff into practice. And it really makes clear how important it is to be able to sense your body. That's that's one of those clues that's hidden kind of right there on the surface of <coughs> even Gurdjieff's like intellectual work that you can just read and kind of gloss over. Like he mentions it all the time and the like he d divides the human being into three centers, the the physical moving center, the emotional center and the thinking center. And when you read about that at first, if you're not familiar with looking at things in terms of that, it, it, it might be kind of confusing to be able to first distill or to first figure out what is what um, if, you don't, if you don't have any real practice of looking at yourself and observing yourself. But then, then you get an idea intellectually of what that means. And then after that, that's when the, ideally the practice should come. So you have to realize that, oh, actually, you do have a body. There are things going on in your body. And you actually have... there. Are, there are kind of mysteries and things hidden within your body that you can make conscious. Mm -hmm. the, that's oftentimes you'll in a lot of um, like methods and different psychoanalytic or whatever traditions and teachings. It's all about me, like the the Jungian approach, making the unconscious conscious. But it's all about mental stuff, like um, past past emotions and traumas and things you're going through and and things that are often dealt with in like in your mind and in a very intellectual way but at the very base of that is the body that you're inhabiting and that is the first step that um that Dennis Lewis lays out in this book is to actually gain an awareness of your body and Gurdjieff actually said numerous times that that's where it started. You had to start in your body um, because most people are in their heads or they're so in their emotions um, that, they get that they get carried by their emotions. That's why he used that image of the, the horse-drawn carriage, that uh, the, whole, the whole system has to be balanced. Otherwise, if the horses aren't trained, the horses just lead you off wherever they want you to, where, wherever they want to. That's the, the emotions. And uh, the body itself, you can have a really strong carriage, but if you've got weak horses, weak emotions, they're not going to get you very far. Or you can have a decrepit old carriage um, that's falling to pieces, like um, a, a diseased body, you know, a body that's not working very well. Um, and in this image, of course, in Gurdjieff's system, the master is missing. There's no one actually directing the carriage. You need someone who actually knows what's going on to, to direct the whole system. So the, the way to start at least um, this way to start, is to focus on the body, focus on gaining sensations of the body, and by focusing on the, the breathing to start out with. Because um, I'll give one, just one example to start out with, and that is just basically diaphragmatic breathing, belly breathing, because for people who don't know, like the, the way we breathe is we have this muscle in the, you know, attached to our rib cage in the back near the spine, and it's this dome-shaped muscle, and as it contracts, it goes down and creates this vacuum that then pulls the pulls the the lungs and expands the lungs and that's how air enters into the lungs and when you're breathing just with your diaphragm because your diaphragm uh, contracts down it pushes basically it pushes the organs that are all down in your in your belly and it expands them out so your belly your belly moves out as it as it as you breathe as your diaphragm contracts 
But if you watch a lot of people, and this is the way I was, um, and I still am to a degree because, you know, I was asthmatic as a kid and, um, and still have to, to work with that daily to, to make sure I'm belly breathing. But the, a lot of people just breathe in their chest. So their shoulders go up and their chest goes out, but their belly stays flat, right? And so the, all of these muscles, all these chest muscles are doing a lot of, a lot of work that they don't have to do or that they, that they, well, they have to do in this situation because they're not breathing correctly, but they're doing more work than they are designed for. Like those are, those should be the secondary muscles for breathing. But, um, but for most people, or for a lot of people, I don't know the, the exact statistics, they're, they're not breathing with their diaphragm. And I guess probably their diaphragm, um, it's like any muscle. It's not, it, would pro- it needs some practice in order to develop and get stronger and be able to actually um, carry more of the load that it should. And that, that well, there's a few, di- a few different directions we can go from that. And one of, one of which is that by utilizing these muscles, it's a, it's a general principle in kind of this way of looking at breathing that unnecessary tension in a lot of muscles is basically a waste of energy. So you've got, if you're chronically tense in certain areas or using muscles that, that shouldn't be used and overexerting certain muscles, that's, that's excess tension in your life, in your body, that is wasting energy that could be used for another purpose. So along with sensation um, and getting in touch with the sensations of your body, Another foundational point is the importance of relaxation, to be able to put your, your body and, and also not just your body, but uh, your, your emotions and your mind in a relaxed state. Because it's in that relaxed state that that energy gets freed up because your, your, your body is no longer diverting attention and resources to keeping that tension. Um, and that very literal tension in some cases and the actual... Um, structure of your of your body, your musculature, um, but also the it, it can be mental tension or emotional tension, and it's those knots that we have, literal and figurative knots, like in our muscles and in our minds, that divert all that energy, oftentimes, and you can see that in um, like obsessions or um, the, yeah. Well, I'm just going to go with obsessions primarily. If we have we ha- we we all have obsessions at some at some point in our day or in our lives where we're, we are uncontrollably focused on something. And that could be, um, it could be a problem, an interpersonal problem that we've, that we've just recently experienced. You know, we've gotten in a fight or an argument or just a disagreement with someone and then we're ruminating on it, right? And we are, we're going over it in our, in our minds and it's uncontrollable. You know, it often, often happens before you're trying to go to sleep and you just can't turn off your mind, right? It's just going and going and going. And you could call that like an, a mental or an emotional knot. And the, the benefit of first learning to focus on your breath and to actually enter a relaxed state facilitated by breathing exercises that um, activate the parasympathetic nervous system, so through the vagus nerve, that will put you in a relaxed state where you can direct your, you can divert your attention from that obsession, from that that mind chatter, from that um, whatever it is that's occupying you so much. Divert that attention to something else, and just like a just like a little child, right? If you if a little child that's having a tantrum or something, it's it's distracting the attention of that tantrum throwing child to something else, and that's something else is the thing that is lacking in most of our lives. It's the thing that 
that we probably should be devoting some attention to, but we just never get the opportunity because we're so busy. Our bodies are so busy. Our minds are so busy. Um, and they're busy on things that don't, that matter on some level, but that probably aren't, that don't matter on the more important levels. Like there are things that we, that we should be devoting some time to that will, um, they will have benefits for us in, in numerous ways, but mm -hmm. oftentimes we don't even realize that there are other things that we can divert, divert our attention towards. Mm -hmm. Well, just to add to the list of things that are, um, that make uh, breathing so important uh, for the body. If you are, if you notice that your vehicle is uh, manifesting decreased engine power, uh, a mechanic would probably tell you the first thing to, is: Have you changed the the air filter, the intake air filter for the engine? Because the engine needs to breathe. And if you have a very dirty uh, filter, uh, you will notice that the the engine power will decrease. <coughs> extraordinarily i mean you you it'll it'll be like a completely different engine just because the the air filter hasn't been changed according to you know the specifications of the manufacturer and it's the same with the body he, he lays it out in the human body uh we need air our brains need mm -hmm. significant amounts of oxygen every cell the mitochondria needs significant amount of um all of everything that you get in through the breath in order to you know manufacture you know atp and all of these other things and not only that um, that's just the intake, but mm -hmm. the exhalation, as he points out, and I'm not sure about this statistic, but he says that 70% of um, the detox in the body takes place through exhalation. Mm -hmm. So if you're not um, taking in deep breaths and exhaling, you know, more, then what you're doing is you're you're not getting enough energy in, and you're not getting enough toxins out. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, and he he goes on and points out, like you were saying, that that leads to all that leads to many a number of of different problems that you won't necessarily be aware of, just on a physiological level, and then on the psychological level, as you were pointing out, it can it'll lead to. Um, I mean, for a lot of people, and speaking to you know as uh, teachers of that Air Wallace program, you notice that people don't necessarily want to breathe very deeply because. Uh, you you notice a lot more things as you're saying. Your mind becomes opened up to a lot more of your the sensations within your body. Um, a lot of uh, I guess you could say traumas or just repressed tensions, things that we repress for a reason, and that we can use breathing exercises to work through and to help you know kind of break uh, break down those barriers so that you can experience those things in a way that. Um, is uh, fulfilling. It leads to the more of a wholeness in your your psyche and an integration, I guess, of, of your being. Um, for lack of a better word, you know, being uh, being something that we don't necessarily study so much in Western academia. So you you tend to have to rely on the theoretical frameworks of other cultures or of, you know, esoteric schools like Gurdjieff or of, you know, Taoism and all of these different theoretical explanations for why it is so important to, to breathe and how, um, how over thousands of years, uh, different teachers and students have noticed and, um, that, uh, that breathing plays a, a significant part in their own healing uh, and in their own growth as a human being, and just by doing the exercises, by you know doing being an airwolf's uh, teacher and you know practitioner, you you notice that it can lead um, in just one session to 
big emotional breakthroughs just by students learning how to breathe with their belly, to take deeper breaths, and to um, and to exhale. You know, all of those toxins. It's it's really quite fascinating to see how it works. You know, theoretically, I don't know uh, which theoretical explanation is is the best, but um, the one thing that I really um, enjoyed about the book, The Tao of Natural Breathing, is that he he um, he has references. Right? It's a it's partly it's a, it's academic, um, but then there's exercises, and then he has references to a number of different systems. So he he'll um, he'll cite modern uh, Western science. He'll cite Taoism. He'll he'll cite Gurdjieff. He'll basically he's obviously a man who is extraordinarily well read and takes this uh, very seriously and wants to impart the kind of wisdom to uh, to people that will help them to um, to take another step uh, towards you know becoming more responsible you know individuals who can take charge of of their lives and live ethically responsible whole meaningful lives because as he points out you know we live in a very out of a very narrow and small kind of little cell you know, almost you know it's it's a very small little cell just com, you know filled and cluttered with all sorts of worries and anxieties that um, act on act on us in a chemical way that can you know that leads it um, to being just a very reactive um, you know tense and narrow kind of life yeah you, you've both alluded to a couple of things here that I think are essential and that is that while we're breathing in and oxygenating our our brains our organs our cells while we're kind of expanding the level of space within ourselves as we give the time and attention to meditate on and and kind of bring a, a sensory awareness to our bodies in, in the many exercises that Lewis provides in the book and in Eru Olas. That there's another element here that I think is, uh, is very interesting to be aware of, and that is that we're trying to grow our being in some way. And what does that mean, really, to grow our being? We have a lot of potential as human organisms to become connected to ourselves in ways that have never been taught to us, to be connected and aware of other people as or in less superficial ways than, we've, than we're used to interacting with them and, and taking them into consideration. And I think we've also been giving very little thought to how our being, how our inner life, our capacity to feel connected to the outer world uh, has been given a uh, short thrift or shrift mm -hmm. or however, however one would term it. In other words, there are connections that can be made uh, through these exercises in in our outer worlds and our inner worlds uh, through the growth of being, through the growth of knowledge of ourselves that would seem to be the very basic starting point um, through breathing. And it's interesting because I was thinking back on Eruolas as a practice and there are certain portions of it where you're 
guided to experience your body in between certain exercises, vagal nerve stimulation uh, to be one of them. And it's those times in the exercise, I think, that I've uh, given less attention to the more vigorous and, and rigorous pipe breathing and, and warrior's breath and uh, bioenergetic breathing, but that are no less important. And that is to give yourself enough time and space with yourself to, uh, to come to know yourself. And, and what does that mean? Uh, Lewis explains that we have very little awareness of how breath moves through our bodies, what our organs feel like, uh, what, what, what a, a knowledge of tension in the chest would be if we weren't so occupied or uh, in confluence with our emotions and, and have those horses running away with us. So that's a, uh, another kind of feature to the book that I find so valuable. It's, um, and probably is a good starting point. If, if you've never tried Eru Alas, uh, there is a bit of a curve to it. Uh, there is a, a time of uh, working on yourself uh, such that you can get to the point of even doing the, the full exercise. And uh, one of the virtues of the program, though, is this explanation of what diaphragmatic breathing is, belly breathing, and just being aware of what natural breathing uh, feels like and, and what its benefits are. And... If I were to be honest, I would say, you know, there are times when I'm driving to work or uh, doing something around the house where I have to stop and realize, wait a second, I, I have a certain amount of tension here that's unnecessary just for lack of my own paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. So as a very kind of basic baby step, if you think you want to at some point uh, try this program, this is a DVD of the complete program. You can also watch it online. As Harrison mentioned, we're going to put links up on the, on the website page. Uh, but if you think you want to try that program, uh, this book by Lewis is an excellent kind of, uh, preparation for it. I think. Well, it's a, yeah, I think it's a preparation and it's also got some stuff that you can kind of add into your process, add into your practice. Even if you, even if you don't do aerolis, if you do any kind of other breathing exercises, or even if you just meditate, then um, you know you know take some quiet time if you have some kind of practice like that to introduce just another element of attention into the work that you do to so in areola specifically it could be that that extra effort to actually try to sense what's going on in your body in those resting places and to actually follow the breath while you're taking it and try to try to get that deeper sensation of yourself because one of the one of the interesting terms that he point that he used that I hadn't heard used before was this um, this phrase somatic uh, somatic what was it somatic um, somatic amnesia um, so he says there's somatic and emotional amnesia so these are the parts of yourself that you've forgotten <clears throat> the parts that are unconscious that you're not aware of and in, so in emotional cases, that would be like what I was talking about earlier, the things that you're, the, the, the problems that you haven't looked at, the problems that you're not, the, that you're kind of 
um, pushing down below the level of the consciousness, the stuff you don't want to deal with. But that happens in the body too. There are parts of your body that, that you might not be able to sense. And you can, I think it's, it's pretty normal for everyone. They have, um, like if you look at the, the diagram of the, like the sensory areas of your brain and how they map onto your actual body shape, like we have tons of nerve sensations like in our, in our mouth, in our lips, in our hands, in our genitals. And then uh, some of the other parts, they don't, they don't have as much um, like neural architecture that's in our brains and going to our brains. So we don't have as, as great an awareness of them. It's like, can you, can, you, can you, for instance, like right now, sense this square centimeter, you know, on the back of your head? Well, probably not for most people. For, for me, this, there's more, some areas of the body, it's more of just this kind of vague area. That you can that you sense now you can sense it w when you touch it but when you take your finger away it's like where does it's it's harder to localize that position like it's more e it's easier to start out with just getting a like a global a global um, awareness so you can have this awareness of where your arm is where your legs are um, sometimes one, like I've I've been doing this for years I don't know why but every once in a while when I'm meditating I'll just when I'm relaxing I'll try to relax progressively, you know, through my body. So like my feet, my legs, etc. But if you try to relax each of your toes, or you, first you, you try to sense each of your toes. So sense each individual toe. And sometimes it's like, I can't, I can't figure out, I can't place like two of my toes. Like I can feel the, the little pinky toe, the, the big toe. But then when it gets to the middle ones, it's like they kind of just blend in with each other. And if I really focus, then I can say, okay, there's that toe and there's that toe. But the, but that is that phenomenon, that tendencies can be anywhere in the body you know you and so by by actively scanning your body and looking you can find those parts that you that you can't really sense and that's something to to kind of work on to to try to bring sensation to that area and there are ways to kind of help out with that too and you you can um if you're sitting you you can have pressure applied to a certain area like your legs or your butt or or whatever or you can put a cold cloth on a certain part of your body to to actually sense sense it, but it extends even deeper than that. This was something that I'd never even knew was possible. You know, I'd read it in other, in other places and it just kind of sounded outlandish to me. And that was to actually sense each of your individual organs mm -hmm. because I know I can't do that. You know, sometimes like he points out the, usually the only time people can sense their organs is if they have uh, a pain or something wrong with them, like indigestion or, you know, you've got a, you know, a problem with your liver or something and you can feel a, a pain in that area. But ordinarily it's just, no, there's just... I've got a, like a sense of my own mass, but I can't localize the sensation of my spleen, for instance, or anything like that. But apparently it's possible. You know, with practice, you can do it. I'm going to wait for verification. I'm going to see. I'm going to try to verify that for myself to see if I can sense my internal organs. Um, but, I mean, it should be possible because, <clears throat> for instance, if you really focus, you can, you can, feel, the, you can feel your heartbeat, for instance. You can feel the, the presence of your heart and, the, and your pulse. And, and you can, like just the other day, I, I think I was digesting, digesting something and something moved a little bit and I had the, you know, I could had that sensation right in the, right in a certain spot of my, you know, my innards and it's like, okay, there's something there. Uh, <laughs> so maybe, maybe it is possible that that was kind of, that was one of the interesting things for me and that this will lead into the most interesting thing uh, for me was first that what he calls organic awareness to be able to actually sense more of the inside of your body because really that's where a lot of the, a lot of what we experience as emotion takes place is inside your body these uh 
you know, neuropeptides, these chemicals essentially that get that flood regions of the body that we then experience as a physical sensation. And that's that is the, the physical base of what we feel uh, as emotions. Are these these chemicals flooding certain areas of our body that we then experience um, as a sensation? So this this practice, learning to learning to differentiate and to focus on different areas of the body, is actually going to give you a greater awareness of your own emotional state. Mm-hmm. And by and that, that it creates this kind of separation between the observer and the observed. You have you can now watch your body react to what's going on in the world. And when you have that little bit of extra distance, this is kind of the, the Dabrowski element of subject-object in, in oneself. When you have that, that distance and that separation, you have more control over the situation. You can watch yourself being, being reactive. You can watch the reaction taking place, have a greater understanding of yourself and how you react in certain situations, and then ideally throughout this process, have a greater amount of control over that reaction to be able to, to not react when it might not be appropriate or when it might be disadvantageous to react or, or the opposite when it is advantageous to actually, you know, express that emotion in a, in a, in a way that is um, helpful to whatever your aim is at that moment. So there's this, there, this is just to repeat what I said earlier that there that, that a foundation in the sensation of oneself is really essential to any kind of um, any kind of work one's doing on oneself to to be, to developing one's character. Um, it's it would be or it it is an interesting phenomenon for someone to be totally in their head um, and to and to then have the presumption to be or the self-image of, of oneself as this highly advanced being when they can't even sense their body, right? There's, to, to be a balanced person, that there you have to be grounded in your body um, because, like it or not, that's where you are, um, and that's, that's where we all are at this moment. We are in our bodies, and that is the place where things happen. Um, leaving open the possibility that stuff's happening on other levels that we're not aware of, but really, mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, you have to start with what you've got, and that is this physical body. That kind of leads into the, the, the next level of sensation that he's talking about here. Because we've got just this basic, basic physical sensation, and we've got multiple sensations, you know, like the, the feeling of pressure and of, of substance and of pain and of you know, tingling and all these different sensations that we, that we can feel with our, um, you know, basically our nerve receptors and uh, of different sorts and in different areas of the body and all areas of the body. But there's also what I'd call the more kind of... Um, spiritual or um, esoteric type of sensation. And so because this is this Taoist book, this is, the, this is kind of the, the more weird stuff that he gets into. And he's pretty good about bringing this stuff up and saying, well, you know, you don't actually have to believe that the, this, this stuff is actually real. It's, just, it's like just try to, try to sense it, you know, try to, just try to see if, it's, if you can sense these, these weird movements of chi. Because um, that that's really what I probably the more than the second half of the book is. It's all about the the more energetic sensations of the breath, because accor- um, according to this Taoist breathing system, 
Um, the, the breath is essential to not only life in the sense that we Westerners know it as, you know, oxygenating our bodies and expelling toxins, but for, from, um, for the, from the Taoist perspective, it's also you're breathing in life energy, qi, and that that is in itself is a practice of breathing in this life energy and then directing it to in certain areas of the body and having it do stuff, you know, accumulate and transform things within the body. I did a bit of qigong when I was taking kung fu several years ago, and it was interesting because we did the we did the exercises and but as just the the beginner levels, um, they they'd just give a little bit of explanation. They'd the our our um, sifus, our teachers, would would always have a, um, a a period of time after for questions, so you could ask questions about stuff. And you know, none of the students were really that curious, so we didn't actually get into ver- anything very interesting. I was just like, "Oh, well, I'm just going to do the exercises." I didn't really formulate any questions, but I realized I, I should have. I, I could have heard some interesting things from from this kind of tradition. But reading this book, I realized, I, you know, some of the exercises came back to me, and and um, it's interesting how they fit in with the the theory, which I never asked about. And I'll just get into a bit of that theory. It's partially that, and you know, we've probably we've probably all heard about it to one degree or another, even if we haven't studied it. But the the idea that there's energy, you know, coming in th- through the the top of your head and through the soles of your feet, and that there are different basically energetic pathways through the body and different centers, like in the in the Indian traditions, they'd be chakras, and in the, this Taoist perspective, they're called like uh, ten dians or something like that. Um, basically, the energy centers that uh, through which this energy passes and in which it, it gets stored. And regardless of how accurate it is, I, again, it's like Gurdjieff's mountain system. It's mm. a, it's just a, it's a cool thing to read about. I, I'm interested in that kind of stuff. It's fun to read, even if you don't know, if you can't verify it. It's uh, it's just it's interesting to know that this kind of perspective exists at the very least, and it also makes me wonder if there might be some some truth behind it. What that truth is, it's hard to hard hard to grasp, um, perhaps. But I think it um, I think there might be it might be worth looking into or, or at least considering. And he gets into a couple. He does some interesting things in this book and. That is tying it into more of a Western scientific perspective, because like you guys were saying, he has a lot of a lot of ref- references to research that's been done, and but also some more speculative stuff about what might be going on. So when he's talking about chi and uh, this idea that when you're breathing in air, you're actually breathing in more than just what we think of as air, just the the particles and elements and you know gases that we breathe in and and which uh, which then get utilized and consumed and transformed by the body and then um, the, the, the leftovers and the toxins get expelled. In addition to that, from this perspective, there's something else. There's, that, there's something else that's in the air that gets ingested, and um, this energetic thing. But when he ties some of the more speculative stuff that he gets into is, um, for instance, he talks, um, he had some conversations with Candace Pert, who, who wrote a book called uh, Molecules of Emotion back in the 90s. And he quotes a little bit of his conversations with her where they have, they come up with some interesting ideas. I just want to read a couple of the, just the short bits where he mentions her. So he's talking about Candace Pert, and then, uh, so he says, he's talking about the, um, well, I'll just read this. 
So Pert spoke dramatically about how messenger molecules called neuropeptides carry information from brain to body and body to brain to direct energy in the organism. She asserted that these neuropeptides, which include the chemicals known as endorphins, are the biochemical correlates of emotions and can have a powerful influence on our health. When someone asked Pert how she would use this knowledge if she had to undergo a serious surgery, she replied that she would spend time with the surgeon to understand the operation to know which organs and procedures were, would be involved. She suggested that this understanding, combined with visualization of the healing process, could help release those neuropeptides necessary to promote healing. So there in that first excerpt is just this idea that the through the conscious... Um, utilization of attention, directing it to to those processes, basically a visualization process of what the what the procedure is going to entail, can actually consciously direct those um, those peptides, those neurochemicals, those, uh, those just those chemicals in general, to that area to do the things that they need to do. So basically, that healing um, healing can be facilitated through um, a conscious awareness and con conscious um, direction of that of that process. And then the the next thing um, was a bit more uh, a bit more out there, I think. Um, so in going further into the question of this is relaxing our self-image and regulating our organs. So um, where was I? Based on my own personal experiences, uh, Lewis writes, I believe that a, st a sustained smile, especially a smile directed towards one's organs and tissues, triggers the release of beneficial chemical substances from the remarkable pharmacopoeia that is the human brain, chemicals that can have an immediate healthful impact on the body. When I described the process of the inner smile to neuroscientist Candace Pert, and asked her if she believed that it could produce substances beneficial to the body, she replied, absolutely. And going further into the question, she pointed out that peptides modulate feeling, and she suggested that as we are feeling, we are focusing on an organ, as we are paying attention to the autonomic circuitry involved with it, circuitry which is, a, which is composed mainly of peptides. We have the potential, um, just wait, as we are paying attention, we, are, we have the potential to regulate the organ. So that, the, that, again, it's a similar idea, a bit more specific this time, that as um, through this conscious direction of, of attention to the various organs, and in this case he's, he's talking about this process of the inner smile, which is a, one of the meditative breathing techniques that he, he kind of half developed and half borrowed, which is you, you picture someone you love smiling at you, and you smile at the same time. Because like we know from Paul Ekman's work, when you, when you move your face into the position of emotion, that stimulates the actual feeling of that emotion. So when you smile, you actually start feeling a bit happy. And so by, by <coughs> bringing up this emotion in oneself, the, the exercise is to then direct that feeling, that good feeling, to various organs in your body. So the idea, the speculation here is that the, what's actually going on there is through that directed attention at the various organs in your body, you're actually directing, directing well, in this case, chemicals, the neuropeptides, to that organ that will have this healing effect. Um, so it's kind of like a, a material, biological explanation of what might be going on. Of course, the, 
if you go into a religious tradition, the, they, they'll have a more kind of esoteric explanation of what's going on dealing with, dealing with chi. But perhaps there is a kind of, um, perhaps there's a bit of both. You know, maybe it could be that there is a simple physical explanation. It could be that the physical explanation is one half of what's going on, and, and maybe there is some, some truth to this kind of, this way of looking at chi and energy and directing, directing energy to certain parts of the body. And the, but for me, the most the, the most important thing about that is the importance of attention and the um, just the capacity, the potential capacity that the, the focused use of protect of attention can have potentially. You know, that that just by directing your attention in ways that you haven't before, you can do something, achieve something, start some process that would otherwise not occur. And that, I think that there's so much just bound up in that idea, so much potential bound up in that idea, that it, for me at least, it inspires me to, to do more work with my attention, to, to focus more on directing my attention. Um, because for the most part, in our lives, we're just, um, we're just bombarded and pushed in certain directions. Mm -hmm. Our attention is, is moved for us. You know, things grab our attention. We don't direct our attention. Um, it's just like the shiny lights everywhere. It's like it's one shiny light after the other that we just like, you know, um, like automatons direct our gaze towards. Mm -hmm. But to actually relax, calm down, um, and then consciously put in the effort to directing your attention towards something. And that can be in the body, and then it can be in the body, it can be to the feelings, it can even be in the thought to actually start directing your thought as opposed to just automatically thinking. Because a lot of us routinely just automatically think. It's just we have a stream of consciousness that's going, and then we just follow it, and we're not controlling it. It's just doing its own thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that... Um yeah, that's a really good way of, of, of summing up the kind of the human condition right there. But there is a duality to the human condition too, as you pointed out. And I think that's where this, these breathing exercises and qigong and all those different kinds of ways of, of expanding your, your bodily awareness, your personal awareness of who you are. Um, it, it's fundamental to the, the cultivation of your personality and the cultivation of, uh, what you would say is your higher personality, perhaps like what you you your true self would look like if you weren't limited by a number of different um, silly little programs that are always running in the back of your mind. Um, that's this uh, this whole thing. Uh, going back to what you were saying, Ilan, about what is being and what's the importance of being in you know in breathing exercises. Why is there all of this connected in such a way? And I think. Um, a lot of it goes back to this idea of, of, of as above, so below. You know, there's, there's this thing going on where if your breathing is stunted, then your cells are stunted and your life is stunted. And there's, it, you know, it goes on and on, you know, for levels that we don't, we don't really know a lot about, but you're not going to live your highest potential, no matter who you are. Um, you are, you are stunting yourself if you are not, you know, expanding your awareness of your own, um, you know, your breathing and your body and you're doing what you need to kind of keep the beast well fed. You know, you have to think about it in, in terms of that duality that, you know, we're not 
the body that we're born into you know the body is it will perish it's a machine it's it's a tool it's a you know a fascinating fascinating you know creation that's just so full of all of these different little gadgets going on and dna is just zipping around and i mean the the amount of energy and information transfer that goes on in the brain and throughout the body every second every millisecond is is absolutely fascinating but we cut ourselves off from all of that information for, um, uh, for a large part so that we can buffer ourselves from negative things things that we don't want to experience and when we start buffering ourselves that leads to the kind of this um the condition of being fake of being inauthentic um of being afraid of you know of in some way of of ignoring the reality around us and if we ignore our own personal reality then we're more likely to ignore the reality of other people and if we're ignoring the reality of other people we're not going to keep up with you know actually what's going on in the world and if we're not keeping up with what's going on in the world our our being is going to reflect that the because being an experience i think go go hand in hand quite a bit the you know that that way of you know thinking that um your life is the result of who you are that you know that your experiences result how you know your attitude towards life or your you know your fundamental state of of being um but yeah, I'm not exactly sure where else I was going to go with that. <laughs> well, th those are all good points, though, actually, Corey, because there is a, a kind of a narrowing of emotions that go hand in hand with the narrowing of breathing. Mm -hmm. And if, if someone is afraid to experience those negative emotions that would uh, reflect an accurate reading of certain things, of certain relationships, of certain events in one's environment, then one also would seem to be cutting off or limiting the access to the amounts of joy, the amounts of uh, authentic pleasure one can take in the little experiences of life. There is, so you can say that one might be playing it safe by shallow breathing, by a, a shallower experience of reality, uh, by a, a shallower understanding of uh, one's uh, being and, and inner workings, um, there is a, a whole other level to experience, I think, that we um, have access to, which we have only to try and uh, experiment with and, and think about and consider in order to have a full range of what we were meant to experience as human beings. And um, you said a number of interesting things there as well. Um, and I lost my train of thought there, but I, I would just add that um, when we do engage in this process, oh yes, several years ago, not unlike Harrison's uh, Qigong classes, uh, I was able to take a class in uh, the Alexander Technique, which is basically a, a series of um, classes and, and postures that you take in becoming aware of your body and of your breathing. And it was at a time when I was uh, under a great deal of stress that was almost completely ameliorated by an hour, an hour and a half of once a week for several weeks, just sitting and becoming aware of my body in a way that I had 
lost touch with, uh, if, if indeed I had ever been in touch with it. So that was my first kind of foray into uh, awareness of being self-aware physically, being aware that I could sit a certain way and breathe a certain way. And I think that that's what uh, Lewis's book provides for us if we want to experience a fuller range of emotion, if we want to open ourselves to greater amounts of joy, as well as sadness and all the authentic emotions that come with being a, a physical person. And you, you mentioned uh, our, all this information that we seem to be imbued with and, and designed for. And it's really true. One of the things, he doesn't get into it so much, but uh, one of the great virtues of Eruolas is stimulation of the vagus nerve, which is connected to all of these different organs and which actually elicits a stimulation of uh, pro-social hormones, which basically make us feel good. And this is a very natural part of our physiology. It, it's as though if we were designed to, to have a vigilant relaxation, as Lewis would call it, some, you know, some intelligent designer put this nerve in our bodies that we can access, stimulate, and reap the benefits of by a certain type of breathing. So uh, it's all there for our for our use. It's all there for the taking. And if you uh, listen to our show on anti-fragile, you know, the whole idea that the human organism needs stress. Every living thing needs stress. It actually likes stress in certain amounts. But um, it's after you reach a certain amount, it doesn't become helpful anymore. Or if you have it, you know, bottled up in the body, it's not being dealt with, then it actually, it just becomes, it just takes on all of those negative qualities of stress. But when you are utilizing the techniques that activate the vagus nerve, like you were saying, then you start to, um, if you do it on a regular basis, and that's why, you know, it's a practice, it's a very practical thing. You know, we can speak about the theoretical uh, things, but it's it's the ex- the practice and the experience of actually doing these things in in a setting that is you know led by someone who knows what they're talking about, um, and like Dennis, he does, or like the Air Wallace program that can guide you through these kinds of breathing exercises and experiencing the quality of experience, you know, just the quality of a, a your mindset. Um, and every breath, the inhalation and the exhalation, and kind of to getting to uh, getting deeper, really, really deeper into that relaxed response, so that you get to a point of of relaxed vigilance, from where your body can now take all those stresses and all of the you know the things that it craves. It likes adversity. It likes stress, and it it can um, it can learn from it. You know, like I, I think on, on some deep level, you're allowing your unconscious to unpack these things. You're not fixating on things. You're letting the uh, the machine and whatever other higher elements of the mind work together in tandem to create, to generate solutions. Um, you're letting this kind of magical 
process take place that is fundamental to you know living a healthy life i think you need to you need to have a way of positively disassociating from the realities of the world so that you can get back in touch with um ideals you know ideals are are very important it's very easy to get trapped in just like the mundane you know toxic silliness that goes on in the world and lose and and lose track of the of the things that uh, motivate you that you know very deeply motivate you and that um, might be sending off red flags uh, that you are, that, you know, that your body is is saying like this isn't a, a good thing to be taking, you know, to be doing, or these aren't the people you should be hanging out with. But um, you're not listening, right? The body is, is saying this, but you're not listening. Well, when you engage in these kinds of processes, you let the body do its anti-fragile work, and that makes you more of an an anti-fragile and uh, growth-oriented person. Mm-hmm. I want to take off on that for a, a bit, that idea of anti-fragility and how it works in the body. There are a couple parts in the book that I think are relevant, and one's kind of paradoxical. It's the what he calls the importance of effortless effort. Um, I'll read this paragraph because it's pretty interesting. So he writes, As we've seen, the work with breathing starts with sensing the inner atmosphere of our organism, the basic emotional stance we take towards ourselves and the world. When I first began to work seriously with my breath in order to come into more direct touch with myself, however, I quickly saw that most of my efforts were based on force, on willpower, not on skill and sensitivity, and that instead of working with the laws of natural breathing, I was working against them. In short, I was using my sympathetic nervous system to try to turn on my parasympathetic system. The more I tried to breathe naturally, the more tension I created in myself. This was an important discovery for me because it demonstrated the fundamental way in which I undermined my efforts in almost every area of of my life. I had learned the importance of effortless effort from my various teachers, the importance of acting not just from doing but from being, (coughs) from a deep inner sensitivity to my situation, but it wasn't until I started working in-depth with the inner sensation of my body that I began to integrate my understanding of the physiological and biochemical reasons for this approach with the actual practice of it. So there's this idea of, like when you first learn a technique like this, like, you know, you screw up your face and you're trying really hard, but that's, uh, that's one kind of effort. But there's actually a way of, uh, there's actually a, a way of directing effort that isn't so effortful. And the, the way Gurdjieff described it at times was, it's not like, a, it's not a, a, it's not a struggle. It's not an effort. It is just a conscious direction of the of the attention. That's what he was talking about. The effort is to to just shift the attention, and even that, in a sense, is a huge struggle. It's a huge effort, but it's not. It's uh, there's no there's no tension in it. The way like when you're when you're physically struggling to lift a heavy object or something like that, or you're really thinking about a a, a puzzle that you're trying to solve. Those are different kinds of tension, different types of effort. There's a there's this effortless effort to to just kind of um, to just direct your your mind in a certain direction towards a certain aim without the without the without the tension it's hard it's hard to describe but i think when you when you just when you practice it when you try it you'll be able to get the taste of the difference between the two of them there's the like the really struggling with something has one taste and then just consciously consciously struggling to to effortlessly do something else it's it has a different flavor to it and coming back to the anti-fragility 
there's this, uh, I want to get back to what he says about the emotions and how, how emotions tie in with all of this. So he writes that the repression and the, the repression or suppression of emotions manifests itself not only in our postures and movements, but also in tensions buried deep in our bodies, tensions that consume our energy and undermine our physical and psychological health. By learning how to sense these tensions in ourselves, we will eventually come face to face with our mostly unconscious emotions of anger, worry, fear, anxiety, and so on. The goal is not to get rid of these so-called negative emotions. This would be both impossible and undesirable, but rather to find the courage to experience them fully, to open them to the transformative light of impartial awareness. From the Taoist perspective, when we become fully aware of our negative emotions without amplifying them or trying to defend ourselves against them, the neurochemical energy they activate in us can be transformed into the pure energy of vitality. So basically, well, this ties into something that um, Peter Levine wrote in his book, In an Unspoken Voice, which also has a lot, uh, a lot of correspondences to the stuff we've been talking about, a lot of vagal nerve stuff and uh, tension held in the body and emotions stored in the body. And that is that we have all these repressed and sup suppressed emotions that express themselves often in physical phenomena, like um, in the most extreme cases, that would be examples of like hysterical blindness and... Um, um, like not being able to use a limb or not being able to, able to see, there's no actual physical problem, but there's a, it's like the, at some level the mind is determined, okay, what I've seen has been too traumatizing, so I'm just going to turn off the vision for a while. And so the person will be totally convinced that they can't see, and experientially they can't see, but the, the signals are still going from, you know, the light into their brain. You can see that everything's working correctly, but they're just not experiencing sight. So that for all intents and purposes, they are blind. That's one of the most extreme examples of this kind of thing. But it happens, it can happen anywhere. You can have a, a like a traumatic, um, like car injury, for instance, stored in your neck. Um, you can have all kinds of, all kinds of traumas and injuries that it's stored. The way Levine describes it is that in any kind of, um, high energy like high energy situation where harm is imminent the body has certain defensive postures and motions that it goes through and that can be for that can be turning away and running away for instance but if that gets blocked if you, if the body is not able to complete that action that action then gets stored in the body and it's like a, a wound up spring it it hasn't had the chance to to actually expand and spring so it's like this that would be one of those emotional physical knots that's in the body. And so he works in a you know, different modality to, to work with energy and trauma that's actually stored in the body like that. But it's uh, similar, but one of the, the ways in which he works with people is to what he called titrate emotions. Because if, you, if you've got this repressed or suppressed emotion that you do not want to feel and so you do not feel it, the, the way to approach it is kind of like dealing with a phobia is to expose yourself to just the, the, the tiniest amount that you can possibly handle. And then once you get comfortable with that amount of the emotion, then go back to normal and then expand it a bit so that you're, you're feeling a bit more of that emotion and you realize that your body can contain that emotion. It can feel it. You will survive. It's not an emotion that's going to destroy you if you just let yourself feel it. So the, the goal with, from this Taoist breathing perspective is to expand you know, the openness of your body to experience those emotions to the, and to the point where 
that energy, like the energy of that emotion can then be used for some purpose. So for, for people who have no problems, for instance, like with certain emotions, that doesn't mean they're using the energy correctly. They can be just exploding, you know, exploding with anger and rage and directing that kind of emotional vomit on other people, um, which isn't helpful for themselves or the people around them because it just spreads the negativity. But that emotion can be experienced and that energy can then be directed in a conscious, a consciously directed way to, um, to, for some higher purpose, for some, well, for some actual purpose, because when when we when we react emotionally, it's often for no purpose. It's just we're reacting emotionally. Um, I feel bad. I want to yell, so I'm yelling, and that's it. It's just it's this automatic mechanical process that's going on. That's happening in us. It's happening to us. But there's no there's no part that conscious that consciousness is playing in that. Right. There's no directing. There's no, there's no director saying, you know, do this for this purpose. It's just all automatic. It's just stimulus reaction. So through, through, these, through this ra uh, raising of awareness and sensation of the body, you actually create a space in which those processes can take place, that they can be observed, and then they can also be directed. So you have this emotion. You have this emotional energy that can, be, that can then be used and directed towards some creative purpose as opposed to just some mechanical automatic um, venting or whatever it is that you're engaged in in your emotional life at the moment. And this speaks a lot to Gabor Mate's book, When the Body Says No, where he depicts uh, Lou Gehrig, a famous baseball player, having come down with this horrible disease, which later became well known as Lou Gehrig's disease, as a manifestation of the repression of emotions and of very basic needs that Lou Gehrig had uh, stifled um, his own experience of. And uh, so I think what, what's at work here is the, uh, the ability to um, either use or not use this, um, this store of vitality that we have access to which uh, you can say it comes in the ether, you can say it comes in the molecules of, of oxygen, you can say that it, uh, it's facilitated by the prosocial hormones uh, of the vagus nerve. Uh, there are all these kinds of levels to it that can build this storehouse of, of vitality within us where we're more sensitized to the subtleties of of life, where we have more energy and health at our disposal that we would uh, otherwise not realize that we do have uh, and that we often take for granted until that time when we do come down with a cold or some kind of uh, larger, more debilitating disease. Uh, there, There is a, um, a, a kind of... And he gets into this in the book. Uh, there are these uh, centers in our bodies, uh, these kind of core um, energy centers in our abdomens and, and in various other places that can be built up and made, and there's that lovely term again, uh, anti-fragile, mm -hmm. that can be not only uh, resilient and robust, but can take the natural stresses of life that, like you were saying earlier, Corey, uh, we do need a certain amount of stress to 
to be able to move forward, to stimulate us towards action. Uh, but it, it is that chronic um, debilitating stress that wears us down continuously that we have few resources uh, that we're aware of to respond to and to build ourselves um, not against, but uh, but uh, to kind of fortify ourselves with. Yeah. Well, yeah, the you have to have the balance. I think that's the that's the biggest thing because you know the body loves stress. We all we love to have a little bit of challenge in our lives. We all want something to to direct ourselves towards and to work towards. And some people that's, you know, it goes to the, you know, it's the far side, like just Uber, just work, just like he was saying in the book, it's his, um, driving force in his life was just, uh, you know, um, just this very type a personality type approach to the world, which is like, just, if it's not struggle and perseverance, then it has no value in life. Um, and you know, that's kind of a, just a very typical masculine, um, kind of way of thinking, but, uh, that's, you know, it's just half the story. Like you need to, um, you need to have the, the yin and the yang you re- you that. And that's another thing that you, you get out of this, of breathing exercises when, you know, you're really paying attention to it and you're, you're being guided to, um, you know, and kind of get the, the general theory about it. You know, you're breathing in, you know, life and you're, you're breathing out toxins and old ideas and old, you know, you're, you're, you're really engaging as you're paying attention to your breath during these exercises on, on the sensations of breathing in life, on the sensations of how it feels to breathe out all the toxins and to be, you know, have those pictures in your mind of you breathe out death, you bring it, breathe in life. And it's this constant yin and yang. It's, they're always present. There's disintegration, there's reintegration. Then there's disintegration again. Then there's reintegration. There's life, there's death. There's just this constant cycling and it's in the body. It's in the, every system of nature. It's night and day. There's this. Um, there's the duality, and then there's the the actual situation. There's the child that comes out of mm-hmm. out of the duality. <clears throat> and as you, um, yeah, as you expand your awareness and you and you're really listening to those kinds of things, it helps to develop in you kind of a uh, an immunity towards a lot of black and white. Um, kinds of thinking, uh, you know, and a, a desire for for balance, a desire to to take um, time to focus on on these little kinds of things. These, you know, the the positive dissociative type activities that help counterbalance a you know a the stressful everyday life without getting stuck in one or the other, mm-hmm. without getting stuck in a type A mentality, and without getting stuck in navel gazing and thinking that you know just that there's one uh, modality is going to cure all of your illnesses, right? That's, uh, it's, but at the same time, it's highly useful. It's highly practical. And I think, you know, just as being a teacher, you can see results in, in students, uh, within a, a short amount of time, you know, just a, a few classes. Some people are just, they're so ready. Their bodies are just waiting to get all of this stuff out because it's like, Hey, come on, it's time to move on. Let's unload all this garbage. Let's unpack this BS and let's, you know, let's go on to the next stage in our life because, 
you know, sometimes we do just have to let go of things. We have to let go of old illusions, old dreams. And it's oftentimes it's very painful because you hold all of those things very dear. And they're very, they seem when you are inculcated with them, like as a child or as a young adult or, you know, even a, a marriage or something with these ideas um, that you ha have about the world and of life. Um, that turn out to be wrong, which guaranteed almost every single one of them is going to turn out to be wrong. It's um, it's still a painful process of you know accepting illusions, accepting that something has to go, or um, and then accepting the necessity of that in life. You know that's it's a very it's very therapeutic the the breathing experience in in general. I I think and I would I'd highly recommend it to to everybody in our audience if they haven't already you know tried it. But to to very to really you know take it seriously because, um, like you said, Harrison, just that the idea of action through inaction is something that we don't really take very seriously in our culture. And yet it is extremely useful, especially if there's ever times in, in people's life where they feel like there's something that they, they need to do, but they don't know what needs to be done, or they're just exhausted, you know, wiped out, they can't do anything. It's like, well, one of the best things to do is not to do anything. Mm -hmm. That's that's quite frequently the best thing to do because meditation in and of itself has been shown to increase focus, attention, and willpower. And if you can do that, if you can just meditate, you've accomplished, you know, something and you feel like you're doing something, you know, even if you're like, oh, I can't get anything, done. but you meditate and you're doing breathing exercises, you give your body the chance to, like I said, let that magical thing happen where all of a sudden, solutions just kind of come up you know what i mean it's like oh well i didn't even think of it uh, of it that way and um i know that you know at, at previous times in my own life whenever i feel like there's just something i need to do this but i just there's no way i can get it done just by meditating and do by doing breathing exercises on a regular basis it will increase the ability to actually accomplish that very thing so you want to take the tools that you gain through meditation and through breathing exercises and apply them in your everyday life. And that's how I think this, that balance, that yin and yang, um, can be utilized to, you know, maximize just the effectiveness of, you know, just us as just little, you know what I mean? <laughs> little scrappers, <laughs> this cosmic scrappers, the, the, the underdogs of the cosmos. Well, you know, you, you said a bunch of interesting things there, and uh, one of them that, that Lewis points out repeatedly is um, to, to make yourself a kind of a vessel. And this is really where Taoist philosophy and, and wisdom and insight comes in quite a bit, I think. And it's that if we can empty ourselves, uh, we have a greater capacity to, to fill ourselves up with something or to be... Uh, receivers of of information in those quiet moments when the answer to something we may not even be consciously asking uh, for answers about comes to us and and uh, I've had that experience I also just wanted to add that um, although there have been times in classes where people have had these great emotional releases and you might have heard some um, reactions and, and positive developments 
uh, on today's show regarding some of these things to not feel like you have to look for it or expect it if you should decide that you want to uh, try and practice some of these things. That, that part of the point of it is just to allow yourself to be. And when it does come, to, to pay attention to it and the fact that it, it came. But to put any kind of unnecessary expectation on yourself and whether or not you're doing it right necessarily uh, I think would be missing the point in part, um, which is to, which is to observe. And that's another thing that, uh, Lewis's book has a lot in common with in, uh, in the Gargif material, which is before you even want to attempt to change something about yourself, you want to first just be able to mm-hmm. observe it, uh, with as much, uh, impartiality as yeah. as you're capable of, and that takes a lot of practice, because there is this tendency to, you know, when we're thinking of of something or we're on a negative uh, track of thought, to think, no, that's that's bad, that's wrong. I don't want to even go there. But if we are capable of uh, creating that distance that was mentioned earlier where we can observe it and even see what triggered it mm-hmm. and and those things that exist in our thought patterns that set this negative thought loop into motion. Uh, it's then that we have empowered ourselves a little more, I think, to be able to come at our reactions and our responses to things a little healthier. Right. It's the difference between having an experience and forgetting it for eternity and having experience the same experience, but you're so sensitive to it that it completely changes your life. And I think an excellent example of that would be Jordan Peterson, where he wanted to, I think it was he in college or high school, and he was thinking about how he would stab the kid in front of him with his pencil in college. Well, you know, I mean, how many of us have had an experience like that? And we just, "Ah," you know. I'm obviously I'm not going to stab the guy with a pencil or whatever, but he was different. You know, obviously he's a very different kind of individual and, um, he was more sensitive to that. And it, and just that thought was so shocking to him that, you know, he's, that it was a, a huge impetus for his, you know, his, his rise, you know, in, in to understand the, how, um, people can, you know, inflict grave harm and serious injury on other people. And, you know, how many millions have, have benefited from that. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's the one, that's one important thing too, because when you start removing those buffers, you know, a lot of buffers just by being aware and, and really trying to cultivate that kind of an awareness, um, then you uh, you open yourself up to sources of to the information inherent in events that might be um, that might go unnoticed by by everyone else that you uh, you just you kind of pick up on it 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 touches you uh, in the in the heart you know just very deeply and, and you um, you know you like you said earlier Harrison you use that energy and then you can you uh, it, it can potentially change your life. Well, how are we doing on time? Okay. Well, maybe we can... I wanted to go in a slightly different direction, but maybe we can save it for a future show because there's still a lot of interesting ideas around breath 
And the one that comes to mind, <clears throat> well, immediately, first of all, is if you look at early Christianity or what might, you know, what you could consider esoteric Christianity, just in, in, gen in general terms, there's this thing in Christianity, the Holy Spirit. Well, spirit, the word pneuma means breath. So there's this, there's, I think there are a bunch of possibilities there that we might look into. Um, maybe we can do something about that pretty soon because there, I think that if we look at some of the ideas in Christianity from a new perspective, um, they can we can tie them into this idea of breathing and the more esoteric way of looking at breathing and also get into some of Gurdjieff's ideas because I think all three of those, um, if we look at all three of them, we can find the, the similarities and uh, maybe get an idea of what might actually be going on mm -hmm. like uh, in, the, in a weird kind of way. Yeah, because the connection between breath and spirit is fairly universal, isn't mm -hmm. it? He points that out in the book that, yeah. that there's, some, there's something else going on here that crosses all cultural boundaries and that is just very fundamental to religious and yeah religious thought in general all right well we'll save that for another time then well on that note folks uh we'd like to end this our first show of the year we hope you enjoyed it we hope you got something out of it as always and uh we thank you for listening and tuning in we really enjoy your support and greatly appreciate any future subscriptions to the channel we'd like to grow it we have a lot more to say, a lot more to do this year. We have a lot of great shows planned, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's it. Have a great week, and thanks again.